Hi, I'm Nick Nyberg, and you're listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, let's roll. Let's go. Hi, everybody. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to this episode of ADA Live. I'm Barry Whaley, director at the Southeast ADA Center. And as a reminder, listening audience, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can use the online form anytime at adalive.org. America is aging. In the past 10 years, the number of people age 65 and older has increased by 35%. Today, there are over 52.4 million people age 65 and over, and estimates are by 19 or by 2060, that number will jump to nearly 95 million. Of course, as we age, the likelihood of acquired disability increases, and with acquired disability comes protections under the ADA. So joining us on this episode to talk about the needs and services of aging Americans we are pleased to have Nick Nyberg. He is the Programs and Planning Division Chief at the Alabama Department of Senior Services, or ADSS. So Nick, thanks for being with us and uh, welcome. Thank you, Barry. I appreciate you having me today. Yes, sir. So Nick, I thought we'd start with maybe some legislative history. Um, the Older Americans Act of 1965, I believe was the first federal initiative aimed at providing comprehensive services for older Americans. Can, can you tell us a little bit about this law and, and how it relates to the Alabama Department of Senior Services, as well as the area agent, agency, agencies on aging? Sure. Uh, so Congress passed the Older Americans Act, or as we call it, the OAA, in 1965, as you stated. And this was in response to concern by policymakers about a lack of community social services for older persons. Uh, the intent of the OAA is to promote the dignity of older adults by providing services and supports that enable them to remain independent and engage citizens within their communities. OAA funding is distributed to 56 state agencies and of course in Alabama, ADSS, we are the, the state agency for Alabama. Uh, the OAA also funds over 200 tribal organizations, two native Hawaiian organizations, more than 600 area agencies on aging and 20,000 local service providers. Uh, while the OAA services are open to older individuals, generally defined as 60 and older, it focuses on offering assistance to persons with the greatest social or economic need, such as low income or minority persons, older individuals with limited English proficiency, and older persons residing in rural areas, which we have a lot of in the state of Alabama. Uh, the benefits of OAA programs are not just for older adults. Uh, they also support families by offering services to caregivers and they provide uh, jobs in the health and long-term care sectors in local communities around the country. The supports funded by the OAA include a, a range of home and community-based services, and these services, or as sometimes we, we say programs, 
help seniors stay as independent as possible in their homes and communities. In addition, OAA services help seniors avoid hospitalization and nursing home care. And as a result, this saves federal and state funds that otherwise would be spent on such care. As stated on the National Council on Aging website, or as we call them, uh, NCOA, uh, for more than 55 years, the aging network established and funded by the OAA has preserved the right for older Americans to live independently and with dignity. So uh, with that being stated, uh, the Alabama Department of Senior Services, or as you stated, Barry, ADSS, as we are known, uh, we were created as the single state agency for receiving and dispersing federal funds made available under the OAA and to serve as the lead agency on programs for the aging population. We work closely with the Administration for Community Living, or ACL as we, we uh, call them, uh, within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to administer these OAA programs uh, and other grant programs as well uh, that are outside of the scope of the OAA. Uh, and these uh, programs are funded by ACL, uh, also the state of Alabama through appropriations uh, and the Alabama Medicaid Agency. Uh, and these programs cover all 67 counties in the state. Uh, because of the OAA and the creation of the state units on aging, as, as we're called, uh, in each state in the nation, uh, the area agencies on aging, or as we call them, the AAAs, were born to carry out the OAA services and other grant programs throughout the state. Uh, each of the 13 AAAs provide these comprehensive services in conjunction with the Aging and Disability Resource Center screening and counseling program called uh, One Door Alabama. So that's how uh, we came about, Barry. That's interesting. So, so I'm curious, Nick, um, that funding, is that based upon the number of people age 60 and over in each individual state, territory, and, and tribal land? How, how is that apportioned? That is correct. It is apportioned by uh, the uh, senior citizen population uh, in the state. Clearly, those states that have more older folks are receiving more, more funding to, to provide those necessary services to keep people, you know, living in their home and living as independently as possible. That is correct. Yeah. So, so Nick, I, I imagine Alabama is similar to the rest of the country. You know, we talked about, you, you know, the graying of America, that America, that, that the population is aging. So I'm wondering if you could kind of give us the lay of the land in Alabama, as far as, you know, this, this aging population base and along with people with disabilities, as well as what, um, you guys uh, at ADS, ADSS are projecting as far as what the future looks like and what your challenges are. Sure. Uh, so uh, certainly challenges because, uh, as you stated, in the state of Alabama, as well as all states in the country, uh, the, uh, the increase in population or the projection of the increase in the older individual's population uh, is, is certainly high. You know, in Alabama, the 2010 uh, census, which would be the last uh, uh, census, um, not completed, we've had one completed, but we don't have the, the current data, but from the 2010 census, it shows that Alabama uh, 
uh, was home to then approximately 670,000 older citizens. And when I say older citizens for, for this particular data, would be uh, age 65 and older. A lot of the OAA programs are for 60 and older. So it would have been a little bit more than that. But if you look to current times, or at least from 2019, uh, I had uh, researched the American Community Survey, and that shows uh, an estimate for Alabama of approximately 1.12 million. Uh, and that was the projection for 2019, which, which accounts for, out of that number, that accounts for uh, 23% of Alabama's total population. Uh, also, that estimate shows 36.5% has at least one disability. Uh, approximately 22% are at or below 100% of the poverty level, and 2.5% speaks a language other than English, which may sound like a small number, 2.5%, but that's approximately 28,000 people to think about while we're outreaching to our target population uh, offering assistance. And the reason I mentioned those things about poverty level and uh, having at least one disability and the language uh, English proficiency is because that is uh, really the directive as far as targeting uh, people. I'm not saying that they're the only people in the, in the state or in states in the country that can receive help, uh, but we certainly look to, to serve those folks. You know, the University of Alabama Center for Business and Economic Research projects that the senior citizen population in Alabama will increase 83% by the year 2040. And that's, a, that's a, an enormous increase. Uh, many are low-income individuals uh, residing in rural areas, and they are certainly living longer and with more complex and chronic health conditions. And with this tremendous growth in the population, and because dignity, independence, and individual choice are of great importance, Alabama certainly faces a challenge due to a lack of and strain on current resources that are needed to care for the aging uh, population and people with disabilities. Uh, obviously, as I, I believe any state agency within the social service realm would say, uh, funding is a factor amongst other challenges for sure, but it is certainly a critical factor. Uh, because of the growing needs of older adults, uh, people with disabilities and caregivers, social programs, families, uh, businesses, and healthcare systems are all under pressure. Uh, home and community-based care is much more cost-effective than long-term care uh, uh, facility care, uh, but funding has not kept pace with the growing needs throughout all communities in the state and other states in the nation probably would say the same. Uh, Alabama will continue as best as we possibly can to advocate for home and community-based programs as people want to stay in their own homes and communities for as long as possible. And OAA programs save the state and federal government dollars. Yes, that creates a critical situation as the population is, continues to age based on your projections, and then that, that, that money just needs to, to keep pace with that. So um, that, that, that's interesting. Th thanks, Nick. So let's turn back and, and stay with this issue of, of funding and, and providing services. Can we be more specific in what services are available and, and how do people find them? Sure. So uh, we, we provide a lot of different types of services uh, in the state, and, and it's uh, more important for me uh, now to, to really 
understand, you know, in the realm of aging of where I work, how people are able to get the help that they need and, and where to turn and how to access that and what are the eligibility criteria for that. You know, uh, as I've talked about before, uh, I'm currently going through this, this future planning of care phase now with my dad because the things uh, he was able to do, he no longer can. Uh, and it's quite a challenge. And it gives me an entirely new appreciation for first, those that have to go through with this and learn new ways to adjust and to, to cope uh, with their new life. And for caregivers, uh, you know, bless them for what they do to care for their loved ones, because uh, I'm certainly in that, that realm of caregiving now. Uh, with that being said, uh, you know, uh, talking about the OAA of 1965 or the Older Americans Act, uh, the, the Older Americans Act is, is split up into different uh, title uh, title uh, sections and within the realm of aging uh, and disabilities, uh, you have Title II, you have Title III, Title V, and Title VII, uh, and all of these encompass different um, services um, for for folks to be able to to live in their homes in their own communities. Under the Title II, the OAA, we actually have what's called the Aging and Disability Resource Center program, and this is very important that uh, I mentioned this about the ADRCs. All 13 AAAs in our state are certified uh, ADRCs uh, and they are, are designated ADRCs. And, and what that is, is a, is, is, is a one-stop shop for individuals who are seeking long-term support services. Uh, and so the ADRCs or the AAAs are that visible and trusted source of information to receive one-on-one -on -one counseling access um, to, for, for folks to be able to, um, to access this, the, the different services that are provided, the different state benefits uh, that we screen for, federal benefits, things like that. Uh, because, you know, long-term support services, uh, if, if, to minimize confusion and to uh, enhance individual choice and to support informed decision making. We we believe that to be very important. Matter of fact, we're uh, we're very focused on participant directed, person centered planning to make sure that that independence and dignity that people try to hold on to as for as long as possible. You know that that we uh, uh, certainly uh, keep that in mind and work with people to access the services that they need. Uh, we have supportive services that would be like in home assistance if. Uh, someone uh, may get to a point where they're unable to, you know, tidy up and clean their home or provide their own personal care uh, and personal hygiene uh, or even chore services outside of the home within their, their yard. Um, we provide services uh, uh, for that. Uh, adult day care for folks that may want to get out of their house for a day or two days or more. Of course, COVID-19 has sort of halted that for right now, but we're very hopeful that I'll come back. Uh, and then legal assistance. We're, we're very big on educating uh, seniors throughout the state about the importance of having a wheel and having an advanced directive. Um, and so that's a no-cost service under, uh, under OAA title. Title III. And then transportation to, to be able to help people get to doctor's appointments, uh, to the grocery store, to the local senior centers. Um, that sort of thing is very important. Also, nutrition services. A, a lot of folks that may listen uh, to the podcast uh, have heard the term meals on wheels. We actually uh, call it homebound meals through the OAA. But the purpose for that is to reduce hunger and food insecurity, uh, which is big in the population of uh, seniors, and to promote socialization. We, we have approximately 330 senior centers in the state that we provide congregate meals where uh, people are able to 
go uh, and uh, be uh, put into a social setting and have a meal. If, you're, if they're homebound, they can receive a home delivered meal. Uh, also within that setting, they can receive nutrition, education and counseling, which is important to promote better health and things like that. We do uh, evidence-based health promotion programs. Um, you know, the purpose there is to, there again, promote healthy living and healthy aging, to develop skills to prevent falls, to manage chronic conditions, to manage depression, medications. Uh, some examples that, that uh, classes offered throughout the state would be like Tai Chi for arthritis and fall prevention, uh, chronic disease self-management, matter of balance, all these different classes that can help people. And then also caregiver support has been mentioned. Uh, the National Family Caregiver Support Program, as it's called, is a Title III OAA program. Uh, and it is a support system for caregivers so they can help their families uh, you know, sustain their efforts in caring for their, their uh, loved one, whether that's an, uh, an older individual or a child or another relative. Uh, and then also we have a senior community service employment program, and this is the only federally funded employment program for low income older persons. Uh, it's a fantastic way for someone who wants to get back into the workforce uh, to have that uh, community service and to also um, be provided with, with uh, work-based training. Uh, whether that's help with uh, resumes, how to interview, uh, things like that. So it, it's, a, it's a really important program. Uh, and then also the ombudsman program, state uh, long-term care ombudsman. Uh, you know, we have, of course, uh, long-term care um, uh, facilities, nursing homes, assisted living facilities. And the people that reside in the facilities, they need an advocate. You know, we're, we're very big on uh, making sure we educate um, people that they uh, they still have rights, they still have a voice, and that should not be taken away from them. So uh, that is something else that, that we work on as well. And then other grant programs, uh, Barry, we, we, we have uh, other outside of the OAA, our biggest programs would be the Medicaid waiver programs that are the programs designed specifically to help people stay in their home, uh, as opposed to go into uh, a long-term care facility and people are able to receive homemaker, personal care service, home delivered meals, uh, adult day care, all these sorts of things that I mentioned for the OAA program. Uh, we do medication assistance. We do Medicare counseling. Uh, we do um, uh, Medicare fraud prevention, detection, reporting, uh, all kinds of different things to help people uh, within their homes uh, and as a community service as well. And uh, just to wrap that up for as far as services, you know, for anyone who may listen uh, and need access to services, if they're in Alabama, we have a toll-free uh, uh, phone line, uh, 1-800-AGE-LINE, that's A-G-E-L-I-N-E, and uh, the numbers would be 1-800-243-5463, or they can visit our website at www.alabamaageline.gov. And if anyone in, in other states listen to this, they can contact uh, and find uh, their state unit on aging in their state or their area agencies on aging through what's called the Elder Care Locator. This is a service provided by the Administration for Community Living. And that telephone number is 1-800-677-1116. Or they can visit their website at www.alabama.gov eldercare.acl.gov. What a comprehensive list. Th thanks, Nick, for, for sharing all that. I'm wondering about, you had mentioned rural areas. Of course, I'm, I'm in Kentucky. There's a lot of rural areas. There's 
a lot of rural areas and in Alabama and throughout the Southeast. And how are they delivered in rural areas? What, what do you do to ensure that, that aging people in those, in those areas are not isolated? Well, we certainly do a lot of extended uh, outreach and marketing throughout the state. And we try to, to utilize uh, the, the uh, uh, tools uh, that uh, are prevalent in rural areas to make sure that we are getting the word out as far as how to contact right. us, uh, what mm -hmm. kind of services are available, what kind of eligibility criteria. Uh, we have uh, the, the AAAs in the state, uh, their, um, their team are out in the communities that they serve uh, often. Of course, that has uh, been halted somewhat because of COVID, but as I've stated before, hopeful to get back to that. But uh, they are going out into uh, all communities in the state, but especially these rural areas and providing, uh, whether it's workshops or health fairs or training opportunities. And then also, I think one of the most important things for reaching rural areas is, uh, you know, throughout uh, all communities and in rural areas in each state, uh, you have lots of community-based, uh, you know, nonprofit agencies. Mm -hmm. You, of course, do have uh, local agencies that are affiliated with a, with a, a you know, grand state agency uh, that are located in, in all counties in Alabama, which we have 67 counties in our state. And uh, we encourage uh, the AAAs to stay in close contact and become very uh, aware um, and, you know, relationally with um, those that work at those community agencies, uh, because those, those community agencies are, you know, their, their grassroots are hitting the ground floor. Uh, they're out into the communities as well. And they have many uh, people, whether it's older individuals, people with disabilities, caregivers, just families uh, coming into their offices for something. And we make sure that we're getting uh, information about all the services that we provide uh, into the hands of those people. Great. Thank, thanks, Nick. Um, so ADA listening audience, if you have questions about today's topic or any other ADA Live topic, you can submit your questions online at adalive.org or you can call the Southeast ADA Center. Our number is 1-404-541-9001. So we're gonna stop for a moment for a word from our sponsor today, the Alabama Department of Senior Services. The Alabama Department of Senior Services, ADSS, is a cabinet level state agency that administers programs for senior citizens people with disabilities and caregivers. The mission of ADSS is to promote the independence and dignity of those we serve through a comprehensive and coordinated system of quality services. ADSS is charged with carrying out the provisions of the Older Americans Act of 1965 as amended and works closely with the Administration for Community Living, ACL within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to achieve this goal. More information on the Older Americans Act can be found on the ADSS website and the ACL website at www.acl.gov. So welcome back folks. 
from before the break, we were talking about aging, we're talking about disability with Nick Nyberg. And Nick, you had mentioned that, that you are in fact a caregiver for, for an aging parent. And we know that, that caregiving often becomes a need for any older person. And could you please talk more about that important role? Um, you know, we have, as the population ages, more and more people who are becoming caregivers now. Sure, uh, absolutely. So, you know, caregiver is, is not a role that we ever uh, really define for ourselves because it just happens. And uh, as I was uh, talking about being a caregiver for my dad, um, in, in that instant, it's, instance, it was such a a sudden thing, a sudden happenstance to, to uh, sort of flow into that role really quickly as a caregiver. Uh, it, it just happened. And, and so it's, it's hard for us to, to just say that, that uh, you know, it, it's just a, a role that, that we can define for ourselves. Uh, you know, I read a quote uh, from Rosalind Carter that uh, says it, it says it best, really. It says, uh, there are only four kinds of people in the world those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. And uh, I think that she said it very well. Uh, you know, anyone can become a caregiver suddenly and, and without warning, in fact, uh, or in many situations, the caregiving role evolves slowly over time. Caregiving impacts a multitude of things, uh, long-term care, uh, it affects workforce labor availability and productivity, uh, the state and federal economic well-being, individual retirement and aging in place options, uh, of course, caregiver, physical and mental health, and quality of life for individuals and their families. Uh, present day family infrastructure is vastly different than in past decades. Uh, therefore, individuals uh, policymakers and the community at large are not really prepared for this phenomenon, uh, although we are working hard to become prepared. All caregiving situations are different, but they share one common mission, which is to love, commit, and support the quality of life for someone who is special in their life journey. Uh, family and friends provide the bulk of support to individuals of any age with various physical, mental, and healthcare needs. Although most citizens believe long-term services and supports are provided by public programs and private insurance, and that is just not the fact. Uh, studies show that 75% of the care at home is provided by informal caregivers who provide such things as meals, uh, medical or personal care, housekeeping, transportation, and even financial assistance. Uh, and there's an AARP report titled Valuing the Invaluable uh, that I've thought to be very insightful. Uh, it relays in that uh, report that there are uh, specifically for Alabama, 761,000 caregivers that are providing over an estimated 708 million hours of care. Uh, now, um, economically, that comes out to uh, uh, about $7.72 billion. Uh, being a family caregiver for a spouse or a child or, or a parent 
or any loved one uh, takes significant time, energy, and hard work. You know, you had mentioned that this can come on suddenly, and it's like in your case, and all of a sudden your roles are changed and, and you have to adjust your schedule. And that must put tremendous pressure on your work life, on, on your family life, on, you, you know, all aspects when, when you take on these roles. I'm wondering what supports there are for people who are the caregivers. Sure. So when the need happens, um, first, many individuals do not know where to turn for support, uh, as I've, I've mentioned before. Uh, and, and really, little support is, is readily available in the forms of uh, education and counseling and uh, respite and financial assistance. Uh, ADSS, through the, the uh, 13 AAAs in the state, certainly um, provide caregiver support through, through two different programs. I mentioned uh, one earlier as, as one uh, that falls under the OAA Title III um, and that is called the National Family Caregiver Support Program. And this became available in 2000. And it was established to help families sustain their effort to care for an older individual or a child or a relative with severe disabilities. Now in Alabama, and I know it's different throughout each state, uh, here in Alabama, we call it uh, the Alabama CARES Program. And we provide the oversight of this program as it is carried out through the 13 AAAs in the state. Now CARES, uh, Alabama CARES, the CARES stands for Caregiver Assistance, Respite, Education, and Supplemental Services. Our department works in partnership with the 13 AAAs and, and local community service providers uh, through, through contracts. And they provide these categories of services. And there's, there's five categories I'll just briefly go into. Information to the caregivers about available services. Uh, as I've uh, stated a couple of times before, you know, a lot of times uh, people do not um, know where to go for support. And certainly we're always uh, outreaching and marketing throughout the state with our um, contact information, whether it's directly to our agency or to the, the uh, 13 AAAs. And the information, of course, is readily available and counselors are on hand ready to uh, help someone access services to receive um, the service that, that they, that they uh, require. Uh, another would be the assistance to the caregivers uh, in gaining access to those services, as I stated. And then one thing that we believe very important uh, regarding being a caregiver is education, uh, is counseling, uh, and uh, helping to organize support groups throughout the state and even caregiver training. So those are services that are provided uh, through our caregiver program. And then respite care, you know, uh, respite for folks may not uh, know the term is a short period of rest or relief from something difficult. And so uh, we, we realize uh, that caregivers do uh, become stressed in, in the care that they are providing and they need a short break sometimes. And so this program uh, pays for uh, an aid uh, to come into the home to allow the caregiver to take a break, whether that's staying there at the house, going in the back and taking a nap or watching a movie, or they need to, to head out the door to go to the grocery store, um, things like that to, to help a caregiver. And then finally, supplemental services. 
this is on a limited basis, although it is, is very well received and, and very well needed. Uh, supplemental services will be supplies such as incontinence supplies or uh, meals even or nutritional liquid supplements uh, or medical equipment. Uh, sometimes people uh, have a challenge where uh, they're uh, unable to, to walk or have difficulty with walking and need a wheelchair ramp built. Uh, personal emergency response system for someone that may, that may fall. Uh, things like that fall into the realm of supplemental services. Gotcha. We, yeah. We, yeah, we also have another uh, uh, a program uh, that's a, a, a competitive grant program that we started back and I believe in 2009 that we're still carrying today. It's called the Lifespan Respite Grant here in Alabama. We call it Alabama Lifespan Respite. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is another way for someone to receive the, the training and counseling and education and even respite. Now, the difference in that program is really neat is uh, they, they provide these universal um, respite vouchers and the funding provided to those uh, vouchers, uh, people can, can use, the, the, the person needing the care uh, can use those funds to pay uh, for a, a neighbor or a family member instead of having someone come from a service provider uh, into their home, which, which is pretty neat as well. I see. That's great. Yeah, that offers a great deal of flexibility. So you mentioned this earlier, and it's really the elephant in the room, Nick, but really would be remiss if we didn't discuss how the pandemic has affected services to older Americans and, and the lives of older Americans. So let's start with, you know, what's been the impact uh, for people age 60, 65 and older? Goodness, where to start with this probably goes straight to social isolation, which is the biggest um, that has definitely affected older Americans, or in our case, older uh, Alabamians. I'm certain that anyone working in the field of aging would probably first say social isolation. Um, take, for example, uh, the nutrition services program, where older individuals attend a local senior center where they live. Uh, many, many of these older individuals have been attending a center for years. Uh, day to day, they wake up, they prep for the day, uh, you know, whether doing it on their own or utilizing assistance. And they either drive or are picked up by a local transportation service and head off to probably three to four hours a day of social engagement, which is so important. Uh, and receive a meal while they're there. Then all of a sudden, the COVID-19 pandemic hits and that steady daily operation ceases. Uh, it has to be hard. Uh, so many people, um, so many live alone as well. So that sudden shift of being involved in something so great coming to a halt can certainly be devastating. Uh, this has most certainly impacted thousands in Alabama, uh, as we have thousands that attend the uh, roughly 330 senior centers in the state. And, uh, and that equates to much more throughout the country, thousands and thousands of people. So, um, you know, with, with that being said, I always try to uh, do a flip side version and, and of something that's negative and, and think of the positive as well. You know, this sudden shift has certainly brought communities together, families together and so on as they try to work on how to uh, combat this pandemic and how to still 
receive, uh, you know, socialization and continue forward. You know, people are fighting to keep it going. Changes are a must because of this. Uh, but for instance, in Alabama, I mean, I hope they're out the country. Um, you know, meals that are uh, is an integral, very important part of what we do in the state. Those meals have still resumed, albeit, albeit a, a served in a different way. Uh, services are still rendered in the home, but in a safe way and also in a way of uh, personal choice, as I uh, talked about a minute ago through that lifespan respite program. Um, or someone being able to use the funding to pay a neighbor or even a family member that's already there caring for them. Uh, it's a good way to, for someone to receive service. Um, you know, that, that, that personal choice to use financial, that financial assistance to pay a family or a neighbor uh, is, is even more so a point, uh, important because as we've seen during COVID-19, a lot of people are fearful of allowing someone from one of these contracted direct service providers into their home. And also uh, employees of the direct service providers have dropped off uh, because of the fear of entering home. So it, it's been a challenge. Uh, you know, the people themselves, um, it's, it's a complete shift, as I stated, and happening right in front of us. And, and I see positive results coming out of such a negative situation that has come in the form of this pandemic. Yeah, so with, with, with many things, we've, as you say, it's, it's, we've found different ways or new ways of delivering services, of keeping connected. Um, so, so that's, that's great. Um, so are there certain, you, you know, think, keeping with the theme of the pandemic, we, we know that older adults, people with chronic health conditions, <clears throat> people with disabilities are at greater risk. Um, how has that changed the guidance that your agency is providing for both caregivers and older Americans? You know, we've just looked for different ways, uh, different ways to mold the programs to, to still um, provide these needed services, um, but just try to do it in a different way. And we've actually stepped up and, and are providing uh, services um, that are, uh, are programs or services that we are, are not used to. Uh, and, and, and really some of the services we provide, there's, there's been a greater emphasis uh, on services such as the nutrition program. We have served many, many, many more uh, meals in the state of Alabama uh, because of the uh, um, aspect of, of, of staying at home because of the, the pandemic and, and uh, uh, keeping away from other people and neighbors and and, and happen to be in that isolation. Um, we have stepped up in the form of uh, combating that social isolation that I mentioned. Uh, we started a robotic companion pets program to combat that social isolation that's been well received. Uh, and, and the robotic companion pets, if, if you've never seen these before, it's really, really neat. But uh, the, the, the pets are, of course, robotic, but they have mannerisms, uh, just like if you have a live pet. And especially with people with, with a, a form of uh, dementia, uh, it, it is really has been beneficial to provide a program 
that we have have never uh, delved into before, and it has been well received. Uh, we've worked on assisting people with their internet and mobile device bills to make sure that they don't lose what could be their only access to outside of their homes. Uh, we've provided financial assistance for groceries and grocery delivery. So those groceries can come to their homes and don't have to leave their home because we know nutrition, of course, is very important. It's been challenging, but worth it. Uh, as we, we so love helping what some may call the greatest generation, and we will continue to do all that we can to serve these folks. So moving away from the pandemic, we're in May, it's Older Americans Month. What about the theme for this year and, and about May, uh, you know, this recognition of Older Americans Month? So uh, Older Americans Month, or this year in, in 2021, uh, is titled Communities of Strength. Uh, and just to give some background on the, on the Older Americans Month, uh, this was uh, actually established back in 1963, uh, even before the Older Americans Act was established under the Lyndon B. Johnson administration in 1965. Uh, at that time in, in 1963, only 17 million living Americans had reached their 65th birthday. And we're talking about many more today, but uh, that was long ago. About a third of older Americans lived in poverty then, and, and there were few programs to meet their needs as opposed to, to what we're looking at today as far as providing help. Uh, interest in older Americans and their concerns was, was certainly growing. Uh, and then in 1963, at that time under the administration of, of President John F. Kennedy, uh, and also members of the National Council of Senior Citizens, uh, they got together and created the Senior Citizens Month, uh, which prelude to uh, what we call it today, Older Americans Month. Historically, Older Americans Month has been a time to acknowledge the contributions of past and current older persons to our country, uh, especially those who have defended our country. Uh, every president since Kennedy has issued a formal proclamation during or before the month of May, asking the entire nation to pay tribute in some way to older persons in their communities. Uh, Older Americans Month is celebrated across the country through uh, different ceremonies, events, uh, fairs, uh, all kinds of different activities. Um, and every May, uh, ACL, the Administration of Community Living, leads our nation's observance of Older Americans Month. And as I stated, the theme for this year is communities of strength. Uh, older adults have built uh, resilience and strength over their lives through successes, failures, joys and difficulties, and even more so during this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, their stories and contributions help to support and inspire others. So this Older Americans Month, uh, we will celebrate the strength of older adults and the aging network with special emphasis on the power of connection and engagement in building strong communities. You know, there are uh, many things we all can do to nurture ourselves, reinforce our strength, continue to thrive. Uh, connecting with others is one of the most important. It plays a vital role in our health and our well-being and in that of our communities. Uh, from finding joy in small things and sharing our stories to looking at the big picture and giving to others, uh, we ask people to join all states 
in promoting the ways that we are connected uh, and strong. And I have to say, as a personal experience in working in aging going on about 17 years now, I've had the privilege and opportunity to uh, be a part of and to attend several Older Americans Act uh, activities, or I'll say Older Americans Act parties uh, in May of each year. And it is extremely rewarding to see many, many, and, and the events that I've been a part of, hundreds into the thousands of senior citizens and people with disabilities. It doesn't necessarily have to be a senior citizen because we're, we're celebrating all uh, who uh, are living in their homes and communities and, and want to stay there and be independent and have that dignity. Uh, but with that being said, that this is the privilege and the enjoyment that I have seen where people attend uh, at Older Americans Month activities in May and uh, dance and party and have meals and and live bands and games and, and photo booths and just all the things I've seen. It is just a, a, an awesome thing to see this, the smiles on people's faces. That's great. And what a great theme for this year's Older Americans Month, you know, communities of strength. And certainly the last year is, has proved that. Um, Nick, thank you for the work you do. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're so grateful you could take the time to share your, your insights and talk about the important work of ADSS, the Alabama Department of Senior Services. We want to thank you, ADA Live listeners, for joining us for this episode. You can get access to all ADA Live episodes on our website at adalive.org. Remember, all episodes are archived with streamed audio, accessible transcripts, and resources. You can listen to ADA Live on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Live. Download ADA Live to your mobile device by searching for ADA Live. It's a great way to spend a half hour if you're in the car. If you have questions about the ADA, you can submit them anytime online at adalive.org or you can contact your regional ADA center 1-800-949-4232. And remember, all calls are free and they're confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Miller Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marcia Schwanke, and me, I'm Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. See you next episode. Be safe, everybody. Yeah, Steps, man.